What's up, everyone, and welcome to what I think is episode 169 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I am your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for today, we are, of course, finishing up our read of David Farland's The Wormling Horde, book seven in the acclaimed Rune Lord series. And because we are wrapping up and we're talking about the book as a whole, I'm going to throw in another reminder that if you dig our content, if you want to chance to hear our episodes early or listen to our bonus content or if you want to even suggest books for us to read and cover in the future or you know any other number of cool things that we're caught that continuously offering um do check us out on patreon at inking out loud or if you know one-time donation is more your thing we also have a profile on coffee um that support of course goes directly to just the cost of the maintaining the podcast nothing else we were, we're paying for our website hosting and we're paying for our wonderful artist who continues to whip up wicked custom thumbnails for everything that we ask her to so <laughs> she deserves it and now continuing on with the episode proper book seven of the rune lords drew how did the wormling horde wrap up all right in the second half of the wormling horde the focus is on rugasa rihanna and the horse sisters of fleeds capture castle Beldenuk and take more endowments from the people there in preparation for their assault while talon dalen hammer and the emir travel back from the netherworld they meet up with Rihanna while Sissel heads to Castle Quorum and the True Tree, and the Horse Sisters aim to attack Ker Luciare and the Wormlings harvesting blood metal there. Meanwhile, Lord Despair continues to bolster his ranks with otherworldly creatures. He sets a trap for our heroes, capturing all but Rihanna when they attack Rugasa. He then sends Vulgnash south to Ker Luciare to deal with the rebellious Wormlings there. While Vulgnash is gone, however, Rihanna strikes again, this time avoiding any harm to the defenders. She manages to break Falion and the rest free before Lord Despair realizes how he's been tricked, but he summons a legion of Darkling Glories to chase them. The final showdown happens outside Castle Kurm, after Sissel and Erangale find the true tree is dead. Sissel blesses Vulgnash, restoring his body to life and making him mortal, while Falion and the Emir exchange endowments of wit. Vulgnash takes Falion back into custody, while Rihanna, Talon, and the rest retreat to the Netherworld. The Emir, newly awakened to his flame-weaving powers, hopes to use Falion's knowledge to study the seals of creation and bind the worlds together once and for all. Boom! Book seven of the Rune Lords. <laughs> oh boy, okay, okay, all right. I'm gonna need a minute. Um, with going into style, of course, as we do, I don't really have a lot new to say. We're, we are, of course, seven books now deep into the series. And, you know, we, we, I kind of I think I've pretty much touched on everything I, I want to say about him as an author. There's just a few little things, little quirks that are sticking out to me that I can bring up. Um, actually, no, you know, you know what? I just thought of one that I totally forgot to include in my in my notes, actually. The epigraphs um, okay. from the Wormling Catechism. Did they get a little redundant or repetitive to you in this one i i found that the lack of variety in this one because they're of course they are all from the wormling catechism i was just kind of missing a little bit of the flavor from the last couple of books where we got this wider you know more diverse uh array of i don't know ominous speech as opposed to constantly going. yeah i agree with you the they're not awesome in this book like in the early chapters i thought it was better because it was like oh we're getting a glimpse into wormling culture but by the end of it, it was, like you said, it was getting a bit redundant. It was all just like, you know, bow to the great worm. The great worm is your god. 
uh, if you serve the great worm, you'll get immortality yes. at the end of time. Bow to the great worm. And it's like, yes, yes. It's like, all right, this isn't adding anything to wormling culture and, and building the world anymore. This is just like, I don't know. It's just a recurring beat again yeah, and again. Like, and it's a good beat, but it, you know, 20, 25 times in a row, I was kind of missing, you know, the excellent quotes from other characters, you know, that were really, really cool and always had appropriate context for the beginning of the chapter at the same time. Yeah. All these ones did, of course, but yeah, from the Wormling Catechism got a little repetitive. So I was like, Beh, I wanted to bring it up. Another thing, and speaking of repetitive, this is this one drove me insane, actually. Ooh. Miles. Everything is counted in miles, whether it be distance or speed, and that is constantly. If I had the actual ebook version, I would definitely have searched up <laughs> right before going live how many times we heard. Uh, the word miles or miles per hour in this book. It got it got to me so much, Drew, that even though I had the entire thing on audiobook and I went through twice on audiobook, I almost spent the 15 or 16 bucks on the ebook anyway, just to make this point more clear and have the actual number ready. It was so many times the word miles was repeated, sometimes in the space of like a paragraph. It'll come up four times, whether it be miles per hour, miles out, miles this, miles that. I bet you it was at least 100 times in this book you'll find miles. So I don't have an issue with him using like real world measurements like that, an, yeah. but I do know what you mean in terms of just the overwhelming focus on yeah. like, cause so much of the second half of this book is about endowments of metabolism yes. and, and it's like it's how fast movie. can the Knights Eternal fly? How fast can Rihanna fly? How fast can the Darkling Glories how fly? How far is this away? How far is yeah. that away? How, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, and yeah, so it, it did, uh, again, it got a little repetitive with that. Um, like These are very petty style repetitive. points. I can't um, wait to hear what you have to say. It'll be deeper than this. But, th I, you know, this is what I've got for, for this week. I just, miles, the word miles, uh, it's not the anachronistic nature of it. I don't, that's perfectly fine. We need a way to conceptualize what the author is trying to talk about. And I'd rather an author try to do what feels familiar to them because it always reads better. It reads smoother, I would imagine. It was just, yeah. I it just, it's so, it's so stupid, but it's so redundant and repetitive. Just miles, 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 miles. And now that I've said it, I am apologizing for if I've screwed it up for anybody else. Cause now you are going to notice that maybe it's an audiobook quirk. That could be it as well. So for, for my style notes here, like obviously we're seven books into the series now. Like you said, we have covered a lot of what there is to say about yeah. how Dave Wolverton writes sentences and, you know, uh, but there are a couple of things that I wanted to point out in, in this part. Um, one of them is kind of a, a revisiting something I pointed out, I think in, I think in world binder or in uh, sons of the Oak um, it's how often he uses uh, as if. Yes. I was thinking of as if, as you brought this up. Yeah. Was, so down, like, obviously he does this a lot and it's, it, it, it stood out enough for me to comment on it before, but I started noticing <laughs> points in, in the second half of this book where it wasn't just standing out that he was using this over and over, but it was standing out because of the way he was using it, that he was like, like this is uh, again, like kind of back to the more like third person limited point of view. Uh, it's not like it was in Sons of the Oak where he would like bounce between characters' points of view, like sometimes within the same paragraph. Um, 
Oh, yeah. I forgot it, about here that. it is more like we were used to in the first four books, more like we're used to in a, a Brandon Sanderson or a Robert Jordan or, you know, that, that author, more yeah. modern, limited, third-person, close point of view. But even though he sticks with that conceit where it's like, you know, you're if he's going to change whose head we're in, there's going to be either a chapter break or a page break. And, but despite that, there were moments where like somebody would do something as if they were doing like, you know, Talon did X as if she were trying to do Y. And it's like, we're in Talon's head. You don't have to say as if she were, she knows what she's trying to do. You know, like, so it, it's like, just for half a sentence for, for one clause we're pulling out into like a, a removed narrator who's trying to guess at the motives of the character yeah. whose head we're ostensibly in. And, and that really bothered me. Oh, Ooh, I'm glad I got through this book twice before you brought that up for me. Cause now I, I am the kind of person who that is going to bother once I've noticed it. Um, and yeah, like this book was pretty short. I went through it twice yeah. in, in this past week. It was, I went through most of the second half today again, because I had an 11 hour work day. I managed to listen for like six hours. Um, good listen, but there were a few things that stood out. And I think I'm, I'm starting to think that my miles thing was really standing up because of an audiobook thing. <laughs> um, but that's everything I have for style. I imagine you maybe do have one more or two more things to bring up before we go into characters or are we just like styled out on him for now? Uh, so I want to talk about like uh, the structure of this story in general. Uh, Throw it at me. This is the first time we've had a, a Rune Lords book without a battle. Uh, and this was the, this was one of the reasons why I did not like this book very much back when I first read it. Uh, one of the reasons I was kind of turned off after finishing battle. this I mean, is that battles. they're like we don't have a large scale conflict in this book it's there's a rescue there's a, there's an aborted rescue gotcha. attempt gotcha. where gotcha. they like they kill a couple of wormlings and then are immediately trapped and captured and then we have another rescue attempt that has very little action there we hear about armies moving around but none of them ever get where they're going. We we see throughout the book, we kept keep getting references to a giant reaver horde. We yeah. see that there is an army from Beldenook on the move. We, we see hear about well. you know the, the warlords of Internook moving from the courts of Tide to Caer Luciare. And we never see any of them get in battles. Well, technically and we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, we, we saw like from a distance some darkling glories diving down. Yeah, and, and the horns going it. off. Yeah, and that's and like, is like two sentences. That's true. That's it's very much like removed. When, from when the we're comparing stage. the rest of the books here, the end of yeah. the first book, we have the <laughs> Battle of Longmont. The, of the, the second book, we have the Battle of Castle Caris. The third yeah. book, we have constant battles with the Reavers, as well as the giant battle uh, down in Indopal when Rasha Ten. Doing his thing, bro. In the Lair of Bones, we have another battle at Castle Karis. You know, in Sons of the Oak, we have the battle, the invasion of Landis Fallen. In Worldbinder, we have the battle at Caer Luciare and the battle at Cantilar. And then here, nothing. We've got... And on top of that, it's like... I don't think there's a very satisfying conclusion to this book. Uh, this book book is the first one that feels like it's just 
an unfinished story that we need to move on and go into mm-hmm. the next book. And this goes back to why I was so turned off back in the day is the next book doesn't follow these same characters. It follows Mirama and Borenson. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh. And like the, the back, you know, the that's disappointing back cover copy or, or the inside flap copy on um, chaos bound is uh the world of the Rune Lords has been combined by magic with another parallel world to form a new one. The beginning of a process that may end, that may in the end reunify all worlds into the one true world, or end in universal darkness. Thousands have died, lands have sunk below the sea and elsewhere risen from it. The whole of humanity faces extermination. This story follows two of Farland's well-known heroes, Borenson and Murama, on a quest to save their devastated land and the people of the new world from certain destruction. You know, and and so I'm like, okay, you didn't provide a satisfying conclusion to the one. Yeah, there was just and now and now constantly. the next book doesn't follow the same characters. It's and so that was really frustrating for me back in the day, and I still think it's frustrating for me today. I imagine I would be far more frustrated if I hadn't been mentally preparing for an unsatisfying or somewhat open conclusion um, to what Farland managed to publish in his lifetime. So. <laughs> if I was following this as it came out, I can imagine, I could very easily imagine I would have a lot of those same frustrations. So I feel fortunate in, in a weird way to have missed those just because of what kind of reader I am and how long it took me to pick this up. Uh-huh. Um, but but that said, there, there were things in this book that I did like more uh, this time around. You know, I, I appreciated some of the character beats more, uh, the internal struggles of Falion and Rihanna and the Emir uh, in ways that I definitely did not when I was a, you know, wait, when did this, when did this come out? 2008, I want to say. Yeah. An 18 year old, freshly, freshly graduated from <laughs> high school. Bright eyed and bushy tailed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where I was very much just reading these books because like I wanted to see cool Rune Lord action, you know, like yeah. I didn't really care about the characters or, or the way Wolverton is, is crafting a, you know, a, a plot arc or anything like that. I was just, I was just there to see fireworks and, so and there is a Rob remarkable <laughs> lack of fireworks in this book, especially compared to the previous six. Uh, there's a lot of Vulgnash, and Vulgnash is such a badass that I was still pretty satisfied, <laughs> honestly. Um, you're absolutely right. I was definitely left disappointed on the whole, well, Rihanna has basically, and she even says it outright, I've killed myself to rescue you, and you're going back. And this yep. has all kind of been for what? I did leave the book at that point, looking down at my audiobook and seeing, I think there was like, <laughs> at that point, there was like 12 minutes left of the book. I was like, huh? <laughs> What's going well, Hang on a second. So that was that was disappointing, um, and now it's further disappointing knowing that we're getting Born to Mirama, which is referred to several times in this book. And I was going to make a prediction later this episode saying, "Hey, we're going to actually see them in the next book." I was not ready to hear that we are just are them for the next book. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, and in fact, so I have my you know, my copy of Chaos Bound right here, and it Ooh, still get, has. You can see there; it still That's has nice. the receipt I was using as my bookmark. From the very first time I picked up this book, and Dang. I only got forty-five pages in before I oh, okay, well, put the book down. Because wow. back then I was I was so annoyed that it wasn't following Rihanna and Falion and Dalen Hammer mm. and 
the Emir Tool Ra and Vulgnash and What if it pulls a Glenn so. Cook and it does follow Bornson and Mirama for the entire time, but they reach Rihanna and company halfway through and then I, it continues I, from there. I, I a la don't Dreams know. of Steel, I, I think so. that was. Or is that She's a Darkness? I think uh, that was She's a Darkness, right? I'm we're left not on one point. sure what you're referring we're, to. We're, we're left, and then we're, we're, we're picking up from another character's point of view in a subsequent book, and uh, we're like, oh no, we're retreading for a lot of it. Oh, but then seasons. we accelerate past. That was Bleak, Bleak Seasons. Season. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it may very well be like that, but I was an impatient reader back in the day, and so... I could tell. 45, 45 pages, pages in, dude? I was like, nope. Uh, wow. I, was like, I was already annoyed at what the Wormling Horde was, and... And then Chaos Bound came out. And I, I will also say, no, you know, I'm going to leave that for our, our next Chaos Bound. <laughs> okay. Um, All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, for the next episode. I thought you meant the next segment. Okay, cool. Not yeah, yeah. Know. For when we're actually talking about Wait, Chaos Bound. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I'm ready to move on to characters. Yeah. I wrote down nothing about Falion. I'm not even kidding you. Besides that little bit that I just had there, that was a half gripe, a pseudo gripe. I just wrote nothing else down. Yeah, again, um, Falion kind of had the same situation as Aerith in the previous book, where like he just spends the whole book in captivity, and so there isn't a whole lot for him to do. Uh, like most of the points of view in Rugasa are from Lord Despair or Vulgnash, because Falion's like just unconscious the whole time. Yeah. Uh, so there isn't a whole lot that happens with Falion yeah. internally. I was chuckling at my at the memory of last book ending when I was saying, "Hey, I it kind of sucks this book has been so dark and I'm and now Falion is in Vulgnash's hands and I really hope we don't spend too much time from Falion's point of view in this next book while he's being tortured or he's just helpless and imprisoned." I wasn't ready for the the next book to still end with him being in prison. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. On. Now there wasn't as much of Falion, of course. That would have assuaged my feelings back then if I had said, "Oh, you're only like, only going to hear from Falion a few times." But still, yeah, it is a little yeah off putting, yeah. disappointing. However, I do have one one note on on Falion, and that is how much I appreciate again um, how Farland is subverting his own narrative expectations from the first series where, you know, you have the first four books where you have Gaborn as the main character and he's the earth King and, and he's the hero. And, and then you get the second series and his son is the torchbearer and he's a flame weaver and he's the hero. Except as this goes on, Falion as the hero is being deconstructed in, in multiple different ways. Uh, on the one hand, he mm. gets remarkably little point of view time uh, in comparison to Gaborn in the first four books. Uh, there's so much more focus on uh, what we would think of as side characters, like Colosax or Carissa. Colosax! Or Alan. Colosax. Or the Emir Tol Ra. Or Dalen Hammer. And like there are just so many point of view characters in in this. And then, of course, as this has gone on, Rihanna is being centered as a more traditional hero character, but with like almost an anti-hero, because as we go through this book, she just like admits, like, yeah, I'm becoming another Raja Ten. I'm going to go take more endowments of glamour and voice so that I can get more endowments. 
and and like people start being angry at her. Yep. For for wasting blood metal on glamour and Dalen Hammer Dalen is Hammer, like really. you Hammers know the rules of that. the ale. Like it is Sorry. it is forbidden to take glamour and voice from people. And she's like, well, I'm not an ale, you know. And yeah. uh, and so, people were so while while yeah. in in the like the char- character um like what the character does for the plot, she is becoming more of that traditional hero character on a, uh, like on an internal landscape level, she's way more complicated than Gaborn was or Falion. She is almost becoming an anti-hero. I am Skr. Uh, and then, yeah. and then at the end of this book, Falion's kind of remaining hero role as, as the flame weaver, as the one who is sort of destined to bind the worlds together even that has been taken from him and given to the emir. You know where they now have the twinned minds, like like the days, and he's the a torchbearer elect. Yeah, yeah, and the emir can now go on and do his thing. And we even get some hints earlier in the book where Erringale is uh, kind of looking yes. into all of their eyes. And yes, he, he grabs his shoulder. Yeah. Yes, and then he so. sees that vision of the emir wrapped in flames. Mm-hmm. And says, you know, like, like you, you've gone yes. down some dark paths in the past, but you, you have like brightness and glory ahead of you. Yeah, that's in my predictions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Falion as a character, like at the by the end of this book, I don't even really care that he's being sent back into captivity because I only care about the vehicle his, for the plot. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All of his usefulness as a character has been handed off to other people, and I never like cared that much about any of his internal struggles after sons of the oak because it was like it, it really felt like he he sort of came to his maturity by the end of sons of the oak and you didn't need to have uh he, he didn't really struggle with a whole lot internally after that so it's like Fallion's kind of done as a character yeah it's even with his turner his complete turnaround on rihanna he's like you know i his, his I should have married you. <laughs> I should have married you at the end. I'm like, bro, you spent the last two books thinking about how you could never like her in, in that way, and you're suspected. Like, what? Okay, just yeah. I don't know. It feels a little man. A lot of things in this book feel a little heavy handed. On Rihanna's point, I'm just like I said, I am scared. I, I'm still. It's like her justifications for taking her endowments. This whole I am not Rajat thing, as you brought up. I this whole I don't take these for personal gain. I'm taking them to save the world. Bitch, have you not read the first arc? That's exactly what Raj Otten was saying he was going to do as yep. well. I mean, yep. where ha, this is so, so not going anywhere good. And I didn't think it was. I've been saying for a while I didn't think it was. This is bigger, though, than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be tragic. I didn't think it was going to be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. So this is concerning. Um, four seasons, she, she predicts that she's not four seasons, four years. I think it is, right? Uh, she says four seasons. Does she say but, four but seasons? But that math doesn't these year add long up. seasons. Okay. Yeah, that math doesn't Maybe add four up. Four of the same seasons. Or she's only, <laughs> like even if even know. if she even if she means years. four years, she's probably not going to die in that time. Like that's eighty years. She's that's only like years. sixteen or, or eighteen. That's ninety six, dude. That's pretty freaking old. It's it's old for sure. But she's also a rune lord with tons of endowments of stamina and grace yeah, and her, brawn. Like, her, her dedicates uh, are not going to last. This is years. not a situation like Gaborn, who who had like 150 endowments of metabolism, right? 
Yeah. And like certainly four seasons. Like, no, she's just going to, she's going to be middle aged. Like, you know, she's going to age 20 years. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe seasons are meant in a different way there, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did kind of raise my eyebrows at that line. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. Uh, I'm actually done on Rihanna right now for as well, because we still have a book left on her. I still have lots to say about her, but I'm going to save a lot of that for the next book. Well, if we get more of her in the next book. Oh, that's right. I'm already forgetting that you've made that, that you dropped that bomb on me. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. everybody. It's been a long um, work day. I really hope we do. I, I really hope, hope we do. And I actually maybe get there in chapter. I two. have a, <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that we are going to get at least some more about her. So this is uh, one thing I brought up in the previous episode was that there were like three scenes that I remembered from this book and they were all at the end. Um, and it turns out that one of those three scenes I apparently either made up or am remembering something from the beginning of the next book. Um, sort of. So in my memory, it was that Rihanna like built herself up like this Raja 10 and then immediately lost all of her endowments. That Knights Eternal found her dedicates in fleets and like attacked from the air and killed oh, yeah. them all. And that scene does not happen. Like I have oh, like a yeah. vivid mental image in my head of like Knights Eternal swooping down over like wooden stockades. That's because that's what they originally first yeah. fear. But right and, before they figure out it's the uh, ones of internal, But right? at the end of the book, Rihanna does say she feels her dedicates dying. Uh, when she's talking with Falion. Yeah, that's right. She's like hunched over, right? Uh, yeah, she like grabs her stomach. Yeah, grimacing that's in pain, right. Rihanna reached up and covered her belly with one hand. What's wrong? He asked. Rihanna shook her head in anguish, then apologized. I think that some darkling glories just found my dedicates. So... It, that one line doesn't really tell you, like, it doesn't say, like, oh, there went all of her. Like, she may have just lost a couple of them. I don't know. It's like, I'm wondering if I, if I, like, made this up or if we go into more detail in the beginning of the next book and we find out, oh, yes, like, she did have this happen. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really hope that I made this up now because she is so much more of an interesting character when she has the endowments and she has this temptation like I want, I want that to be a problem. She has to deal with herself, not have outside forces okay. erase this character conflict. That would be very unsatisfying for me. Interesting. Yeah, I hope yeah. as well. That'd be awesome. Um, the Emir, you talk about the Emir? Sure. Yeah. And how okay. messed up it is that, like, I guess we're just gonna go along with it that it's okay oh. that he and Talon are in love, even though he's Hold like. On more than twice I'll, her age. I'll, I'll get into that. So I'm 100% <laughs> behind this anti-Rajatan thing, like the Amir Tulra, the opposite side of the coin, redemption arc, yada, yada. I'm no okay. longer really sus either. Now, even though I, I admit I wasn't particularly sus in the last episode, I just felt like maybe Farlin was laying on the Amir's virtues a little too thick. But I love where this half of the book took him, though I felt he got screwed over during the initial confrontation with Arith slash Despair and Bulgnash. I wanted to see him last longer than like half of a second, even if yeah. Farlin had to like temporarily nerf Despair or Vulgnash, like Dragon Ball Z style. No, he was just one swing out with a butt of the dagger. I was like, okay, I was really hoping for a little more than that. But we were, um, 
we were approaching the last pages and Falion is claiming he needs to return to Rugasa. And I, I think it's Sissel who has the idea. He's like, could you teach someone else to bind the worlds? Like, Maybe whoever it is, they need to be a powerful flame weaver. And I just, I wish I could have had a real life DVR for that moment as well. When I heard those words to watch my eyes, like slowly open wide <laughs> this realization sweeps over. It's like, <laughs> that is perfect. That's kind of the exact perfect answer for this redemption arc that I wanted to take. But you're, you're right. It's a little odd with Talon. See, I've saved all of the 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 weirdness of this whole like forced relationship between the two of them for my points on Talon. So I could just straight up go into it because we're going to talk about both of them. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. I am weirded out and uncomfortable with everything about Talon in the second half of the book. And all of it is about her relationship with Tool Ra. But it's not the age difference for me, honestly. I don't really have a, that much of a problem with that, even if it is by reflex a bit weird. Um, these are fantasy books. It's going to be like those fantastical elements. Sometimes not all of them have remained in style. My specific <laughs> problem was with just how forced it felt. It didn't feel natural to me at all. It yeah. felt manufactured and deliberate and relentless as if Farland just really needs them to be in a, in a relationship for some reason that we don't know yet. And I expressed a bit of confusion and uneasiness last episode when it started. I think I said I wouldn't have like felt so forced if we had seen how she regards the Amir change over the course of a whole book or even across a span of several chapters that might've still felt rushed, even in my opinion, but we spent what, like five minutes inside Talon's head over which she, like, she just entirely talked herself into a crush on the Amir in that time in the space of a few pages. And then picking up in the second half of the book, this ridiculous, nonsensical fan servicey duel between them was, I oh, just yeah. felt it was so dumb. It was really dumb. Think about the logic involved. We need to save Falion, the torchbearer. We're talking about how we need every warrior possible. But let's have our two greatest warriors fight to the death for the top spot so they can work out their forced crush on one another. I just, it felt. But but not fight to the death. But not fight to the death. So but at many the times very I, last minute, we're going to change yeah. the rules. And so then that the, they the, the Amir thinks, the is like, and he realized he never really was trying to kill. It's like, no, you said. Yeah. 30 seconds ago that you were very specifically trying to kill it. There's a few times in this book where somebody's oh. like, in the end, they couldn't have actually done this. But it's like, no, a page you page ago, you actually came outright and said that they were going to, like, come on. No, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of There are so many times <laughs> in this book that, not just with that, but in, in all sorts of instances, uh, Farland writes one thing and then immediately contradicts it. Yep. Like, th this yep. is... That's this a rule. That's like an unwritten, <laughs> unwritten, an unwritten rule. That it's like if you're gonna pull the switcheroo, don't actually come out and use concrete language. Like he tried to kill her, or he was regretful that he was trying to do yeah, this. Yeah, like, like he, no. He, at yeah. one point, he like Play with swings words. a blow where where he's a hundred percent certain he's about to kill yeah. her. Where he's like, yeah, exactly. That's, that was it. He was it's gonna be too certain. strong for her to block. It's gonna kill yeah. her. Oh no! And then she manages to like outmaneuver him anyway, and then. Five minutes later, he's like, I guess I was never really trying to kill her. Now, it's like, one mm. could one argue, though, I just realized there's an opposite argument, I suppose. Um, it relies on the, the, the trustworthiness of your narrator or the lack thereof. Right. Some people could argue it's like, well, maybe he's just like lying to himself. I don't I don't like that. I don't agree with it. I think it was done poorly. But I will say at no point in the Rune Lord series up till now. Has David Farland given us reason to distrust his narrator? There you go. Thank you. I mean, I didn't agree with that, but I just, I'm always trying to think of what the opposing argument would be, I guess. Uh, but yeah. 
Especially you know, because the, the narrator is so often omniscient. Yeah. Like <laughs> in these last couple of books specifically in Sons yeah. of the Oak. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. what, did, what did Talon do in the latter half of this book besides occasionally fight some wormlings? She adopted a girl. That's about it. She yeah. fights wormlings and takes in a child. Now it was heartwarming, but that was also just like kind of her only function besides being backup muscle and giving us another lens through which to start to adore way too quickly the Amir Tulra. Yeah, she had a very unsatisfying character arc in this book, yeah. where it's like midway through the book, uh, where, where we left off last episode, I was talking about how she's finally getting some agency. And then she just immediately loses that agency again. And, and then when she finds agency in any small way, it's like uh, in the purpose of setting herself up as the Emir's wife. Yeah. Like, like all, all the, all the flags popping up around her in the second half of the book are like, she has motherly instincts and she's in love with the, the Emir. I almost just said the Raj. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so it feels know, like, like the, the first half of the book, Talon felt like she was pointing toward one thing, and then the second half was like, "Psych, nope." It's mm. what what's actually happening is way less interesting. Yeah, so. it, it feels like, or that it feels like Farland has or had plans for the Emir still going forward that we're not entirely certain of yet. But he's got to pull all these things together to get the Emir where he needs to go. I'm just, this is just speculation. Maybe I'm projecting. Uh, that he's willing to just commandeer other characters to, to provide vehicles for this to happen, even if it doesn't make sense. That Like, how much of Talon's page time felt like we just need to be here to see what the Emir is doing through her eyes. Uh-huh. It, she, she just felt commandeered as a character, just like overtaken. You know, this is This goes back to what I was kind of complaining about last episode is that we are not being very this, nice on this book right this now. <laughs> book just needed to be longer like he for everything that he's doing in this book there's not enough room for it all to happen and make sense like so so much of and and okay hmm, how do i put this this is also a reasonable criticism of the first series even though those books are like twice as long as these uh is, is that those four books take place over, I, I don't remember what it was, like two weeks. And there are some pretty monumental like character shifts in two weeks. Like the way Borenson and Mirama fall in love and, and Gaborn and Iome fall in love and, and start families and stuff. But, but because he spends more page time on it, it doesn't feel unearned. Here, it feels wholly unearned. That Falion and Siata like fell in love in Worldbinder, and Talon and Tuara fell in love in the Wormling Court. You know, yep. Like so I the, thought, he handled relationships and romance much better in the, in the cases of Gaborn and Iome and mm-hmm. Bornson and Murama. Like especially Bornson and Murama, they earned their love. They earned that relationship and marriage. You know, especially in Wizardborn. Uh, their relationship in Wizardborn and their conflict there was one of the reasons that I I had a much better regard for that book after we covered it on Inking Out Loud. Yeah, you know, they and, continue to prove it in Sons of the Oak too. With, yeah, and with here, their forms. here we just don't have that sort of earned romance. No, no, we don't. I think I agree. I should say I definitely no. agree. <clears throat> 
Um, um, should we talk so, about yeah. Volknash? Volknash. Here's the thing. I'm really excited. that He's probably the one I'm most excited to talk about, and I somehow didn't have time to write any points down for as I was transcribing my notes. I have a bunch of impressions on my phone, but I can, I can just wing it. I finished the second half today. Volknash, I think, is my favorite part of this book. Okay. Yeah. He's just so... As a as a character, I, I I take him far more seriously as a threat even than despair in in some weird right weird way, and seeing what's happened to him at the end, ninety percent of my feeling is just what's happened to him at the end and how I almost said Benisman, wow, Sissel, so basically so cleverly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically Benisman, basically Benisman. I can't say it anyway. Um, it's very nice. Just every th- the way we wrapped up with Volgnash and the horror in that gift, the curse in that gift, or the the, the gift in that curse, it's just mwah, it's perfect. I listened to it, like I said, a second time today too, and and being able to see Sissel work that out through his several conversations in the latter half of this book. First off, with Arangel at the One True Tree, where they're talking about the corruption and they're wondering if there could be life left in this tree. And there's this whole conversation about, well, even if there's just sometimes it looks dead, sometimes a man can look literally days dead, but there's still that little spark deep down in there, in that soul of life that can be flamed back. This whole moment later, of course, when he gets the idea where he actually falls silent. This isn't a separate, yep. you know, scene as well. They talk about being, like how he can uh, have and endowments yes yeah. exactly and there's like well see there's gotta be some spark of life left there because he has a corporeal body he has a physical body he's not like a death lord he animates he doesn't yeah. just and, and it's exactly. like they they always say that the <laughs> the knights eternal don't have souls but they must have souls they must have powerful knowledgeable souls because they recorporate you know yes. they e- even when they're struck down they'll just take a new body and and having that context through my whole second read today just watching him put these pieces together and then silently figure it out there at the end. And just yep. that line, it's time that I dealt with Volgnash. Like, and it just ends the scene right there, picks up from Volgnash's point of view. That was hype. That was brilliant. That was a brilliant dramatic choice. So that scene is another one of the few things that I remembered from when I first read this book. You know, I, I had, again, a very vivid mental image of uh, Sissel granting him mortality and then having his robes change from uh, oh, red to white. That's uh, so cause, cool. Because if you remember, it, it tracks back to the original books where when Binisman uh, creates the wild, uh, yes. Binisman has like spring brown hair and like the bright green robes of summer and he expends this magical energy on one of, you know, one of the most incredible works of his life. And he changes seasons. He goes from green robes to red and his hair goes gray. And then here again, his, his robes go from the red of autumn to the, the white of winter and his hair goes to silver. I love that theme. Yeah. I love how it continues. Yeah. And it's obviously going to progress before the end of the series in a horrible way, but yeah, <laughs> what do you think, Severian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, he my agrees. Cat has opinions. Um, he has opinions, uh, and everyone's good. Yeah, hear. yeah. So, like Volknash, um, I don't think I'd say he's as good an antagonist as Raja Ten. No, I don't think so either. But still, but but he is Raja a good antagonist. Like, I I enjoy yeah. Volknash. Yeah. Oh, I I love just what if there's somehow redemption in his future? How would that even happen? I'm like, I feel dumb for even considering it now that he's been given life 
and now he can feel like there's this whole part of him realizing how crippling emotions can be and i'm like Ooh, what does that mean for him what hold on a second <laughs> how how yeah. how how dramatic of a shift are we willing to entertain the notion of going forward that's interesting interesting yeah. uh, although <laughs> uh, a small point again mm-hmm. an example of uh the author here just about facing immediately after he wrote something, the description oh. of the spell. Suddenly the wizard whirled and pointed his staff, and though Volgnash was still a quarter of a mile away, too far to hurl a fireball, the effects of Sissel's spell were devastating. A force, and that force is italicized, a force oh? smashed into him like a powerful wave that smote him and washed through him. The blow was minor, not much greater than he'd feel if a gust of wind hit him. Wait, okay, now that you say it like that, you like, emphasize the proper sentences. I see it now. Like, those are back-to-back <laughs> sentences that completely contradict each other. <laughs> I once did that in the same sentence, though, so I can't... I can't a powerful wave that smote him, but it was minor. It was it was just like a little gust of wind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, just weird things. It's like, uh, maybe... Yeah, this is this is something that I was going to talk about in miscellaneous points because uh, there are a few other things that kind of indicate this. But you know, like there, are, this book just feels like it was rushed in a lot of ways, and that includes the editing and like editorial process. Um, and there are things like that 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 should have been picked up on. You know, like when you're going through and doing, you, you know, cleaning up your your prose and tightening things. That should have been caught. Like, hey, these two sentences immediately, one after the other, contradict each other. Uh, there are there are lots of typographical errors. There, there were there was like one. Oh, dang it! Now I'm trying to remember the the line. There were like three extra commas in a sentence that that just didn't make any sense. Like there shouldn't have been any of those commas in there. Oh yeah, Wouldn't it was have like seen her she one. comma held up her. Comma, arms, Wait. like that kind of a thing. Well, that's clearly the typo yeah. then. The yeah, typos. And then the next sentence was missing two words that, like, they just weren't in there. I'm like, you know, these are these are the, like, basic things that should have been caught in the editorial process. And then and then the, uh, the actual hardcover, you know, that I'm holding here, uh, on, on the inside front cover flap, of course, there's the typical, you know, there's a quote from another author. This time it's Terry Brooks. Um, and then there's a description, you know, kind of a plot summary to to tease people to get them to you know buy the gotcha. book off the shelf. And then, generally speaking, uh, inside the back cover on that flap, there will be you know like a a photo of the author and a a biography, a short biographical you know a paragraph or two yeah. about the author. And then at the bottom, there will be uh, credits for the jacket art and jacket design and the and publisher information. This one, it does have Jacket Art by Daryl K. Sweet, Jacket Design by Carol Russo Design, a Tor hardcover with Tom Doherty Associates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the there's no author photo, and the author bio is literally just one line <laughs> saying David Farland lives in St. George, Utah. You think he's going for like an art like a like a fum a fumbled sort of minimalist approach to like, his writing and his publishing? <laughs> but if you go to like if you go to the earlier books, keep the earlier hardcovers authentic. You know, like there's there's so much more robust. These just it just feels rushed. 
I've already talked about how this book feels like it needed to be a lot longer, but it's not. And, and so when you take the content of the story, as well as these kind of ancillary details and put it all together, it feels like, you know, this wasn't given the care and time that it needed to be a successful book. Well, it's just a care and time that it deserved for what it's been building up to and what was already been accomplished by Farland in the yeah. past. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, for the potential and, it has in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. so I, I am disappointed in this book ultimately, despite there still being a lot of things that I liked in it. I, obviously I'm a huge fan of Rihanna's plotline in this book. Her, her character arc is awesome. I think it's, one of the best things he's done uh, throughout the entire series. And, and I, it's not that I disliked reading the book, but I am disappointed in the end result of the book. Mm. I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a flip side of that. There's, there are a lot I feel I was going to say a few things. There are a lot of things, of course, that I, I just didn't really land for me, but overall I still, I would say I enjoyed the book just because I've been loving the rune Lords so much so far and still seeing the applications to this magic and getting a lot yeah. of these character moments, this, the eye for spectacle. I'm still totally in it. I'm more of a the return know, of scathane. I'm more of a fireworks kind of guy, as we were talking about earlier, for yeah. sure. Um, you were last week, you were asking, you're just, like, you know, where are the darkling glories? Well, Rob, dude, here they are. <laughs> oh my goodness. Where are the darkling glories? No, not an army, a murder of darkling glories i'm just yeah, like yeah. that's metal as f- right there i want to write a metal <laughs> album called the murder of darkling glories that's just so good <laughs> yeah dalen hammer had a few excellent one-liners but again he's just not really been what i'm uh, hoping for as a such a legendary mythical figure you know i think there's more to come there's still more to yes. come with dalen hammer a uh, cool few revelations we got a yeah from lord despair's point of view where he's like it's not even worth killing dalen hammer Lord Despair had killed Dalen Hammer many times. He would recorporate soon enough. Hmm. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> There's some stakes that are not quite as high now, <laughs> for him at least. Like, does he have some deal like the Knights Eternal, where he just like finds a new body if he gets killed? Like, hmm. what's going on there? Finding it a little hard uh, to believe that Nash would have considered taking humans too. Like, come on, dude. He's, yeah, he and, just and, hadn't considered it until the end there. What? Come on. And there's the uh, like the Dalen Hammer thing that ties back to Falion, where Falion has this soul that apparently, you know, was also a bright one and was friends with Dalen Hammer back in the day, and uh, and has just now decided to take a new body. So, like, how does that work? Is it like this soul is just hanging around and was like, mm, yeah, that one, I, I like that body. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into that baby. Uh, or, or is it something more like the Wheel of Time where the powers choose which bodies souls go into or, you know, yeah, they're spun out again. Yeah. Hmm. So, hmm. uh, do you have any other characters to talk I about? I do not. I wanted okay, to yeah. talk about despair and Aerith, Solar Earthstone, but there's nothing really just dead. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot more with yeah. that kind of sub conflict. Yeah. I'm ready to go miscellaneous and predictions and favorite scenes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's do it. Okay. So the introduction of the Thysians, that was creepy AF, I wrote down. But it didn't really pay off in any uh, yep. significant way. Yep. Maybe they're going to be a bigger deal in the next book. Maybe like Born Cinemir might run into a few of them and they start like swamping the world or something. I don't know. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, they just didn't pay off in this book. And I was a little, oh, there's some potential there. Huh. The Kormar twins. 
and their swapping of endowments. Uh huh. The way they become one mind at a great cost, but you know, at a great cost, or at least a great risk. That was cool, and it had me wondering: Do like I guess that's the nerd inside of me. Do I have anyone similar, like that similar to me, that I could link with, like mind bridge style? I think I do. My brother, I could totally do that with my brother. He's, he's I'm, there's like a six year difference between us. But we've been playing games for like twenty years. We don't <laughs> even have to communicate in games anymore, like Rocket League or PUBG. We just respond to what we already know the other one's gonna do. So I could totally do that with my brother. You have anybody that you are that similar to, like in an attitude or mental capacity, mental speed, like that similar to that you think you could like swap mm. endowments of wit with? No. So I, I don't I I want to you and Lauren vibe pretty well, but that'd something be... with this. Um, I'm not sure this is consistent. No, I'm not Usavarian. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not <laughs> sure this lore is consistent. Okay, what Hit the twins again. did here is what the days do, and and there's like never anything. Oh, hold on, the days that's... I forgot about entirely. Yeah, like they they swap endowments of wit. And there was never anything like, oh, you need to be perfectly twinned minds, like, or else you go insane. But then on the other hand, uh, the twins do go insane when they do it. So maybe it's that, like, they just got the lore wrong. Like, in hmm. world, they got the lore wrong. And. Oh, maybe. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, Sumerian is. It's almost <laughs> dinner time for him. So he's on a oh, little yeah. rampage here. Um, but yeah, so. It, it's like, and that having a mind that's too similar to your own will make you go insane. Because mm. the twins for sure went insane. Yeah. Like we watched them. <laughs> we watched them get a little creepier and creepier. And yeah. Then, yeah. Then they fell apart at a final moment, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But it was, I was cool. I wanted to see it go somewhere cooler than that, but all right. It ended pretty abruptly. Yeah, and, and then uh, at the, the end, totally Tool Ra and Falion swap endowments of wit and it, they're not like necessarily, you know, twinned personalities. They don't know each other very well or anything, you know, and, and that seems to be working okay for them so far. Um, <laughs> like I, I, so I'm not sure if it's, I don't know. I could. Uh, he forgot about what he had established with the days, or if what I what I think makes more sense is that the the people on the netherworld who were telling the twins about this lore got it wrong. Interesting. Yeah, I prefer that to be the explanation, or just the fact that I'm yeah, getting same. something wrong. We're getting something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because that'd be kind of disappointing if it's just like another <laughs> stumble that could have been avoided with some closer. I don't know. Right. Editing right. or some larger feedback. Because, yeah, like you said, the days as a concept have been completely ignored <laughs> in this uh, in this series. Or sub-series. Yeah. Um, other Let's miscellaneous see. points. I have a few, yeah. but I'll give you a chance because I just, I just threw two at us. So go ahead. Um, uh, page 270 in the hardcover was a Vulgnash point of view when he's approaching Kaer Luciare to deal with the, uh, the Fang guards. Ah, he thought, to sleep, perchance to dream. I, I like, laughed out loud at that line. I was that like, has a, really, see, Wolverton? I have to admit that that's obviously rings familiar, but I I do not know the He's quoting Shakespeare. Myself. It's Shakespeare? Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> with with your, like, oh, is undead that Hamlet? demon Is that right before Hamlet decides to, like, end hero? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. All right. <laughs> 
That's right. I did that in 12th grade. All right. That's right. Um, let's see here. Um, careering. I learned that as a word. I had no idea careering was a word mm-hmm. that could be used as a verb. And it is very much like careening, only it with is. subtle differences. You know, careering just means to move in a general direction in an uncontrolled or inelegant way. Careening specifically involves falling or toppling or dropping. Or I should say invokes a general losing of altitude. So that was pretty cool. I didn't know that. Felt like bringing yeah. it up. Another nice. one. Go ahead. I still have a couple, but um, throw them in there. You know, I think that's all I have because I already Played went ball. on my big, like, um, rushed rant. Uh, I think that's about all I have for this mm. book. I'm going to touch up on a prediction for the Emir then. The Emir? Okay. Sorry. Not the Norse god. The Emir or Amir. How is it pre- spelled in the book? Because it's pretty sure it said Emir. E-M-I-R. Okay, I've been spelling it E-M-Y-R, like worm. I'm too much in the worm, in the weird mode. Okay, but <clears throat> this vision, obviously, Erangel clasping him on the shoulder, this vision that Talon has of the Emir wrapped in flames and whatnot. That's cool. I like to see where that goes. I already expended upon that. However, this could go a different direction, and I really hope it doesn't go in this different direction, but it's the one that occurred to me first a few days ago, and I hope it doesn't come to pass. Another way for the emir to prove his soul or his self worthy to, to resist fire could just happen literally until death meaning that there could be at some point the emir immolated and he could resist through all the pain until death claims him that would be a pretty f-ed up way to go but <laughs> i wouldn't put it past farland especially after these last couple of books to do that just to make a sort of non-subtle point about the emir being good you know being redeemable i mean so That'll sure. be dark, but it's possible. Alrighty. Alrighty. Colossax. I was just really yeah. disappointed about how early that ended. I wanted to see way more. I like how it ended. I would have preferred to see a book long arc of that rather than just like, mm-hmm. all right, you served your purpose. Now you're out of the story so I can really get along with the rest of it. That was disappointing. Yeah, he was he was kind of just there to set up Carissa, who was just there to set up Rihanna. Yeah. Yeah, he's a supporting supporting actor or name yep. notable name in this one my last point this is this is a dumb science one i, I this this Fallion tries to absorb heat from the stone walls around him when he's imprisoned at some point but he couldn't because and i quote they held no heat okay this one i'm gonna do that like i said that nerd thing say well, that's not how science works dude we'll pretend you should know that like I know we're in a land of magic i get that part of it don't but just don't make me bring up degrees kelvin unless they're literally absolute zero there's friggin' heat in those stones we're talking yeah reality forming magic or or bending magic there's heat in those stones dude that's how that <laughs> works there's some maybe you could go i would like to see like maybe a more in-depth explanation like yeah but if you go against concentration it gets exponentially harder and harder that would be cool but it's just like there's never at any point where like heat is harder to draw from a source than it is from another source or it fills one up faster from a yeah you know, just I don't know. I wanted to see that expanded upon more than just like kind of waved away. Ah, this this is dramatically <laughs> convenient that he can't get out of here because these walls hold no heat. Come on. Yeah. I've been watching too much screen rant. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. Um, I'm ready to go into my favorite scenes. However, is there anything else miscellaneous that you wanted? To, you had said you were pretty much wrapped up. Did that yeah, no, shake let's, anything let's loose? Let's do for favorite you? scenes. Okay. All right. I will start with my third favorite scene then. And this is the Emir's goodbye to his daughter, Siata. And Talon putting those pieces together. First off, Talon witnessing it and putting the pieces together when he's telling her, you should wake before long or some such. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was that was a pretty good scene. Can't can't uh, can't say that was a bad one. Bad pick. <laughs> uh, my third favorite was right at the end. Sissel blesses Volgnash, which was apparently just a gust of wind, but also powerful enough to smite him. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, that's. I mean, this is a, this is my favorite scene, so I can just riff on oh, this as well. Oh, I can really? Just okay. Jump on this. No, I can jump yeah. on this though. I loved how it was foreshadowed. Like I said. You yeah, know, it, where we got to watch this unfold, especially when you have the, the right pieces, the right filter to watch it happen to Sissel and his realization. It was just so cool. And the implications it has for the future of the series and Valk Nash as a, you know, originally just dismissed as irredeemable thing. Just I would love to see Farland having had the balls to like, I'm going to try and redeem this guy in two books. That would be qu- that would be an insane, unthinkable feat. But I just kind of wish that. I just I like a boy likes to dream. That's what I'm dreaming. That'd be cool. Okay. So yeah, no, that was I, my favorite. I would scene. be down to see Volgnash, you know. Now that he has uh, emotions crippling him. <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. That's cool. So, oh yeah. All right. Uh all right. your second favorite. Yeah, I guess I'm on my second favorite now, and then we'll leave you. Uh having to leave the little girl behind in the village, although heartbreaking. Mm. But then just returning to her again right before the end. I am glad. I'm so glad that paid off. And I know it, it kind of had to. I'm kind of aware in that point, at least it kind of had to, or else that would be like a major what the hell moment. But it was still good and it was wholesome and it was relieving enough to earn a place on my list. So that was my number two. Okay. Uh, my number two is Rihanna taking Castle Loaker. Uh, and in specific, mm. when she confronts Alonia Loaker in her bedroom. Oh, that was a little odd. Um, again, you know, I, I have gone on at length about how Riata is my favorite character in this subseries, uh, might be my favorite character in the series as a whole. Uh, but this scene, it's like the next step of her path into darkness. Uh, it's her, you know, really taking that step to become another Raja 10 where she just completely takes over an enemy kingdom, forces a ruler to give her an endowment of mm. wit, which I think is important because that's the same endowment that Raja Ten took from King Silveresta in the first book. Uh, you know, it's it's Rihanna reliving history. Yeah. And especially with how much concern there was around Tul Ra and being the shadow self of Raja Ten. And everybody's like, you know, can we trust him to to take on all this responsibility and power yeah. because he could do what he his shadow self did on the other world? And meanwhile, Rihanna is busy doing all of those things. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's bleak going forward. Yeah. yeah. And my favorite scene, I'm not going to go into too much right now because I did uh, already last week. But it's that first scene when she decides to take glamour as her first endowment uh, you really like that one eh? it's such a good scene oh yeah yeah there are so many notable scenes in this book it was just yeah oh, man I, yeah, for, I was for me rihanna is what redeems this book is what makes this book like at, at least decent like i would i still have problems with what he did in in constructing this book in how he structured it in what he did with some of the characters in what he did with some of the plot points but i loved this particular character arc so much that i'm willing to overlook a lot of that 
So this is still a three star book for me. Yeah, I give it a four. I still found it very enjoyable, even though I spent eighty percent of my time this episode complaining. I just I we vibe on the complaints <laughs> when we agree about something. We go off on many tangents, and we happen to agree, and that makes me excited. So yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, overall the book was good. Although I my my I'm also kind of bleak, like I said, going into the next book because it is the last book. Of course, that I, I know that I, I've just. I'm preparing for an open end there. So yeah, although it's been good. I still so, will say, I think I agree. Sons of the Oak was the best of the series. I'm pretty sure. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. I think that was good. So um, that's yeah, uh, let's head into the final draft then. Yeah. Yeah. I've just been drinking good old water <laughs> again. I'm still being healthy. It's just the same bottle of water I've had with me since, since work, but I had some tea before I started. I had some ladies, some lady gray tea again, but, for the episode itself, I've just been wetting myself with water. I, yeah. I phrased that poorly. Hang on. I'm wetting my tongue with water. That's how it would be written <laughs> in the book. I'm wetting myself with water. There. So, yeah. Uh, good old dihydrogen monoxide in me. How about you, man? So, I am also uh, drinking, you know, healthy. Uh, I'm drinking just some store brand tonic water. Uh, however, uh, I have a beer to talk about. Yes. Uh, unlike last week, this beer I have not actually tasted yet because it I, I only got this beer recently and it's one that I kind of wanted to, even aside from me taking a break from alcohol, uh, it was one that I wanted to save for a while. This is a monster of a beer. Uh, it's a collaboration between Anchorage Brewing Company in Alaska and Side Project Brewing Company in St. Louis, uh, who are two of the best barrel aging programs in the world. Like they, in terms of barrel aged strong ales, like stouts, barley wines, quads, you know, old ales, things like that. Side project and Anchorage are the cream of the crop. And, uh, and so having them do a collaboration was very exciting. And this is supposed to be one of the heaviest beers like ever made. It had an insane uh-huh. starting gravity uh, when they were brewing it. It's supposed to be crazy thick. It's double barrel aged, aged eight months in Willet bourbon barrels, and then transferred to Buffalo Trace barrels for an additional 16 months. It is 16% alcohol oh by volume. Oh my God. Yeah, it, an imperial stout. Disinfectant. Um, so yeah, when I, when I do end up opening this, I will be splitting this bottle with probably two or three other people. Nice. Um, but this one goes out to, uh, our boy Aerith and Lord Despair. Uh-oh. It is called King of Darkness. Oh, that's appropriate. Very appropriate. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, King of I, Darkness. I love Especially him. just the end of the book where he summons, you know, all these Darkling glories with Scathane and like has them basically make permanent night over Rugasa, you know? Oh, that, oh, yeah. It's so, still, oh, uh, I forgot. That reminds me of another scene where Volgnosh just spreads darkness to the sky and pulls that light into his hand as he's catching up to Rihanna there. That was just yeah. really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. Yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Yeah, it does. I believe this has been episode 169 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, we're going to be heading on into Chaos Bound. Uh, We're going to be covering the first 14 chapters of that one. 
Uh, as Rob said at the top of the show, if you want to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Get access to all kinds of fun stuff there. But I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep, yep. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.